0: So this is lesson 8 in the book of Romans. We're, we're working our way through uh, chapter 3. And I left you off last week at a place that was, should have been a little tough for you. I would expect after reading the portion of this letter that we read last week, it would cause you to be in kind of a deep despair. A deep despair because we're all guilty And so we're going to read through these verses quickly again because there's a portion of it I want to cover today. Verse 9 of chapter 3 says, What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under sin. It is written, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God, All have turned away. They have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And so he quotes Psalm 14 here, and it's a psalm that speaks about the sons of men, and it says they're all worthless. And they've all turned away, and so Paul continues to make this point that all men, Israel and the nations, have turned from God, and there's no one innocent. Everyone is guilty. Even with those tremendous even with those with the tremendous advantage of having the law the torah they've sinned even though they had the torah and of course those without the torah they they've sinned and when he says they're fit to be worthless it could be rendered unprofitable and I don't know about you, but that would take me back to the Psalm of the Parable or the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, and the one who buried his talent away and ended up being thrown out where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. It could also be translated spoiled, also something which would be thrown out. So what's being said is we all deserve to be thrown out, removed from the presence of God. And then in verse thirteen he says. Their throats... This is where it should start getting tough. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And so he continues with this series of psalms that ask God to smite the wicked and, and the prideful. And as I said... Last week, all of these things seem to have to do with the tongue. Rest easy, I'm not going to do a sermon on evil speech today. I'll surprise you with that after the book of Romans. But Paul uses the sin of the tongue because we're all guilty of that transgression. Our tongues of all are all guilty. That's what makes this passage so difficult because we know we're all guilty. Verse 19 says, Now, We know whatever the law says, the Torah says, it says to those who are under the Torah. So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole of the world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by works of the law. Rather, the law, by the law, we come, become conscious of sin. And this is really what I wanted to get at today, these last few verses that I just read. Because it occurred to me this week that there may be some who might not be understanding one of the very key points of the letter. I felt that there might be some who were confused, especially new folks, because on one hand we say the Torah is God's righteous standard for our lives. And those who walk according to its precepts are blessed. And then on the other hand, we say, oh, the Torah can't save you. No one will be declared righteous by observing the Torah. On the one hand, I preach that there's one way of salvation, and that's the Messiah, Yeshua. And then on the other hand, I preach how valuable the Torah is for our lives. And Paul infers this over and over in his letters. And there's a reason And the reason is there is a difference between living righteous and being declared righteous. And so I want to clear that up today. And I, I kind of made up a little parable to help us understand. I want to try and clarify with this parable or this example. If you don't understand the tension between this gift of God, which is salvation and being declared righteous in Messiah Yeshua, and that of the blessing of keeping his Torah and walking righteously through life, you're going to miss the meaning of not just Romans, but all of Paul's letters. First, notice that the NIV uses the word declared righteous here. And I underline them for you. Other translations may say justified. Well, the Greek word means this according to the Therese. It means to declare, pronounce, one to be just or righteous. You see, what Paul is saying is on that day, there is no one who is going to be declared righteous or pronounced righteous by God because of his doing the works of the Torah. We read it a few weeks ago. On that day, God is going to look at the secrets of men's hearts. And the works of Torah will not cause you to be declared righteous on that day. What are the works of the Torah? What does that mean? Well, we'll get to that in a little later. But first, I want to focus on this being declared righteous. Next, he says in the verse, he says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the Torah, has been made known, to which the Torah and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Yeshua, the Messiah, to all who believe. So when you read this on face value, it seems to say, because of the way it's translated, well, just throw away the Torah, believe in Yeshua, and that's all we need. And then we get a little help from our pastor who, too, is deceived and, and misunderstands the passage. And that's exactly what we come away with. But that is not what being said. And I want to give you this clear example of what I mean. I really want you to go away today from this study and from this study of Romans with a clear understanding of what Paul is saying. Thus the parable. Let us imagine it's the day of the Lord. It's judgment day. And let us imagine it as a courtroom scene, because as we have seen, we're told that God will examine the secrets of men's heart and make a judgment. Sounds like a court to me, right? And so in the court, we have a prosecutor. He's the adversary of God, and he would like to see you and everyone else locked away from God for eternity. And he has a list of transgressions that you have committed in your life. Now imagine you appear before the judge with Torah in hand and a list of the good things that you've done in your lifetime. In other words, all the good deeds that you've done in your lifetime. Now the Torah declares, as does all of Scripture, that the wages of sin is death. And not just a physical death, but an eternal death. To be absent from God for eternity. Can you imagine that? And so you're standing there with your works of the Torah and your Torah in hand, thinking, hey, I look good. I've kept all the commands of the Torah since I was a child. The Torah is good. You know the Torah. You keep the Torah. And so you're confident that God is going to judge you favorably on this day. So you're standing before the judge and then the prosecutor says, well, on January fifteenth, two 2010, you said this terrible things about your mother and father. You dishonored them. Way back here, you dishonored them, and they went to the grave with that pain. And then way back here on August 22, 1995, you stole something. Now, since your heart is laid bare, and the prosecutor is right, you open your Torah, and you also show your good deeds that you have done. But as you open the Torah, it opens to the page where the ten big ones are that says, Thou shalt not steal and honor your father and your mother. The prosecutor turns to the judge and says, You see, this man is guilty. And he deserves what the Torah declares as punishment for sin, for the wages of sin are death. So imagine now, what are you going to say in your defense? Well, nothing you can say. The Torah that you thought was going to be your salvation was the very thing the prosecutor used to find you guilty. And so you stand there, bare, with nothing left to be done but the sentencing. And the judge looks at you and says, he says, I see, son, that you did good in your life. You helped the poor. You kept yourself from idols. And that's commendable. But son, the wages of sin are death. You have these sins in your life. Even though you've done all of this good, you still have to pay. And the judge says, take him away now let 's say the same fellow accepted Yeshua as the Messiah in his lifetime. He believed he had faith in messiah let 's see how the trial goes now this time you 're standing there with your works of Torah and your Torah in your hand, but this time you also have a defense attorney, the messiah Yeshua and so again you 're thinking you look good you 've kept all the you 've kept the Torah from childhood the torah is good you 're confident in a positive outcome. And then your prosecutor says, on January 15th, 2010, you said terrible things about your mother and father. You dishonored them and they went to their grave with that pain. And then your defense attorney says, Sir, you are absolutely correct. He did do that. But Your Honor, I paid the debt for that sin of my friend. It was paid on his behalf on Passover, 30 common era. So it's been taken care of and actually... The only person he owes is me. Then the prosecutor says, well, that may be good, but way back here in August uh, 22nd, 1995, you stole this and that. And since your heart is laid bare, the prosecutor is, is, is right. And you open your Torah and your list of good deeds, your works of the Torah. You open up to the page that says, thou shalt not steal. And the prosecutor turns to the judge and he says, you see, this man is guilty. He deserves what the Torah declares. The punishment for sin and the wages of sin are death. But again, your defense attorney says, if I might address the court again, I refer back to the payment made on Passover 30 common Era, And as you can see, payment has been made for this sin. He's only in my debt. And so I ask you to release him to me. And so again, you stand there bare with nothing left to be done, but a sentence rendered. And the judge looks at you and he says, Son, I see that you did good in your life. You helped the poor. You kept yourself from idols. You loved God and hated e- You loved good and hated evil. And I see that the wages of your past sins have been paid. So all you have before the court today is these good things that you've done. And I'm going to release you today in the hands of your counsel. And then your counsel will turn and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest that I have prepared for you because I have paid all debts on your behalf and you have all of these good deeds to your credit. Come to the feast that I prepared for you. You see, the point is this. The evil you have done will always serve to convict you unless the debt is paid. But once the debt has been paid... All that's left is the good deeds of Torah that you have done. Those things that you did, like Yeshua's life, that rose above the commands of Torah. And for that there is reward. And the reward is saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me just give you one more scenario. Let's say the person accepted Yeshua, but did nothing good in his life. He didn't follow the commands of Torah, continued to violate Torah. Continue to live a life in the world. And the judge says to him, son, I see you have no good deeds to your credit, but your debt has been paid. I release you to your counselor. And the counselor says, come enter life. But he does not say, well done, good and faithful servant, because you haven't done any good. And if you remember back to the parable of the virgins, and if I'm correct about the meaning of that parable, because you have no good works, there's no wedding supper for you. So the point is this. Does the Torah have value? Well, yes, it does. But can it save you? No, it can't. Because it was never given for that reason. It was given to convict you of your sin, and it will do exactly that. You see, either it's going to convict you and cause you to turn to Messiah for forgiveness of those transgressions and cause you to go away and sin no more or it will later convict you on that day in the court of the king and then it's too late to turn. The good news is if you've turned to the Messiah, the debt has been paid and then all that's left is the reward for the good that you have done or the reward for the good that you haven't done. So, I hope this helps you see the tension between justification and living righteously. They're not the same. Between Torah and the Messiah. Now let's look at just what are works of the Torah. What are these works of the Torah? You know, for centuries, it was thought that Paul had coined this phrase, works of the Torah. And so theologians had to apply some meaning to it. And some of them said, well, it's works of the Torah are keeping the Torah. But since the Torah is no longer of value, these things are no longer of value. We don't need Torah or works of the Torah. All we really need is Messiah Yeshua. Many thought that if you didn't eat any unclean animals in your lifetime, then that was one of the works of the Torah. In a sense, they're correct, but not completely. Another may have thought it was the good deeds you do in your lifetime. Those were the works of the Torah, and they were essentially correct, but not complete. Others said it was something different, and really no one applied meaning was any better than another. No one applied meaning was more provable than another. And they were all just opinion because you had no proof that what you thought was what Paul meant. No proof because there was nowhere in the Bible or any of the writings of the first century or even before that that this phrase, works of the Torah, was used. It had never been used except by Paul. As an example, you'll often hear me take a Greek word and you'll often hear me take a Greek word from the Messianic writings and compare it to a Greek word that was used to translate a Hebrew word in the Septuagint. And I do that because it will tell me how they viewed that word or the phrase anciently. In fact, I'm going to do that later on today with this word propitiation. Well, for the phrase works of the Torah, there was nothing of the kind. There was nowhere that it appeared, that phrase appeared anywhere in any writings. Well, let me say that things have changed since the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls. We now have something to compare this phrase to, and we're going to find that the phrase works of the Torah had a specific meaning, and we're going to find it used not only in, uh, not only are we going to find it used in the Dead Sea Scrolls, but we're also going to find it used today in the context of being declared righteous, just like Paul used it. So here, here it is. Now we have written to you some of the works of the Torah. Those which we determined would be beneficial for you and your people because we have seen that you possess insight and knowledge of Torah. Understand that these things and understand these things and beseech him to set counsel straight so that you can So so to keep you away from evil thoughts and the counsel of Belial. Then you shall rejoice at the end time when you find the essence of your words to be true, the essence of our words to be true, and it will be reckoned to you as righteousness in that you have done what is right and good before him to your own benefit and to that of Israel. And so what we have here is we have the same phrase being used to describe the keeping of the Torah. But, it's used to describe keeping of the Torah per Qumran sect. Notice it says, we have given you works of the Torah, which we determined would be beneficial to you. These folks are being written to, are knowledgeable of Torah. It says that right in the passage. They're knowledgeable of Torah. And they're told that they were given works of the Torah, and if they keep those works of the Torah, as this sect that's writing the letter keeps the works of the Torah, and not as the folks they call Belial, which I should add are more than likely the Pharisees, it will be credited to them as righteousness. And I say it refers to the Pharisees because in this passage, the Pharisees were thought of sons of darkness, and Belial, of course, is the prince of darkness. But what I want you to see is that the works of the Torah was not the commands of the Torah, but it was the way you kept the commands of the Torah. By whose standards you kept the, works of the, uh, kept the Torah. The works of the Torah, or how you kept the Torah, became an identifier of the sect of Judaism that you belonged to. The Pharisees had their works of Torah. The Essenes had their works of Torah. And they were not the same. But neither were Paul's the same. Paul had works of Torah as well. His works of Torah were conveyed to him by the Spirit of God. And that's the way he tells others to keep Torah. If your works of the Torah are Spirit-led, there's no doubt that you will, they will be credited to you as righteousness on that day. And I want you to keep this in mind, this term works of Torah, because it comes up again. In chapter 9, if you ever go through the book of uh, Galatians, it comes up four times. Then he says, and he's bringing home the point that we made about justification in verse 23, he says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Messiah Yeshua, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare i say at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in in yeshua so again he's bringing home this fact that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of god and remember what does all mean all oh, exactly that, every mother, son, and daughter, right? And notice he says that God has set forth Yeshua to be a propitiation, and I don't know about you, but that word means diddly to me, right? I mean, that's one of those words that people just kind of read by, but you, you never stop and look it up in a dictionary, right? So I want to put up the Young's literal to see what it, what it, what it means, the way they translated this, the Young's Literal Translation, for all did sin and are come short of the glory of God being declared righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Messiah Yeshua whom God did set forth a mercy seat through faith in his blood and for the showing forth of his righteousness because of the passing over of bygone sins in the forbearance of God and for the showing forth of his righteousness in the present time. For, being, for his being righteous and declaring him righteous who is of faith in Yeshua. I wanted to re-read this in the Young's Literal because we get a better understanding first of the verb tenses. And notice it says, for all did sin and come short of the glory of God. He says in the past tense, and I'm going to be speaking more about that in a moment. But he will again, because he will again use the past tense in this verse. But let's focus on this phrase first, redemption, that is in Messiah Yeshua. And the Greek word here it means this, liberation, a release effected by payment of a ransom, liberation procured by payment of a ransom. You see, what Messiah did for us is he paid our debt. And that's why in my court scenario, I was careful to say that he paid the debt on 30 common era. Once you accept Yeshua, you no longer owe your life. The debt has been paid. And that's why Paul tells the Corinthians this. You were bought for a price. Do not become slaves of men. You see, you're no longer free to follow the ways you used to walk, but you are now property. Property. Of Messiah Yeshua, he paid your debt. And I want you to notice that propitiation has become mercy seat. And the reason for that is, the Greek word here is the same word that was used to translate the Hebrew word keperet in the Septuagint. And what does the Hebrew word keperet mean? It's used only of the cover of the ark, the mercy seat. I put the definition up here for you and notice that it says, a word used only for the cover of the mercy seat of the ark. And notice that the root word here for this kaporet is the Hebrew kafar. And I put its dis, uh, definition up here for you too. Atonement. Cleanse. disannul, Forgive. Pardon. Cover. You know, we think of the redemptive work of Messiah Yeshua in the terms of a covering, but it's more than that. It's more than a covering. He cleansed us. He wiped it clean. And I love the way he equates it to the mercy seat. Did you ever think about the ark, the mercy seat? The high priest on Yom Kippur goes into the Holy of Holies. This is the only day that he's going to go in there. He brings the blood of a goat and a bull to atone for the sins of Israel. And he sprinkles the blood. And where does he sprinkle the blood? Right on the mercy seat, right? Well, let me ask you this. If the high priest only goes in once a year, and then he and he only goes in, and in the entire economy of Israel, the ark was sprinkled hundreds of times, who wiped it clean? Did you ever think about that? Who wiped it clean? You see, it's a covering, but it's also a complete cleansing. You've been cleansed completely. Cleansed of what? All of your transgressions of the commands of God. All of your sin. For John told us sin is transgression of the law. Let's read verses 24 and 25 again. For God, whom God did set forth a mercy seat through faith in his blood for the showing forth of his righteousness because of passing over The bygone sins in forbearance of God. In 30 common era, Yeshua passed over your sins. And notice it says bygone sins. If you read the King James, it says remission of sins that are past. So let me ask you this. Was the offering only for your past sins? I, I think not. But I want you to see is that what I want you to see is that Paul is telling us something by using the past tense. And what is he telling us? He's telling us that there is an expectation that you're going to go away from accepting Messiah Yeshua and sin no more. Sin's past has the expectation of a life changed. That you will go forth from his forgiveness of past sins and keep the commands of God and go and sin no more. Not continue to sin. So if you think back to my scenario at the judgment, all that's left, once those past sins are forgiven, all that's left is a changed life that Messiah Yeshua has led you into doing good deeds. In the scenario above, you've been released into the custody of the one who paid your debt. Paul says you were bought for a price. And then he says in verse 26 and the showing forth of his righteousness in pa- present time for his being righteous and declaring him righteous who was of faith in Messiah Yeshua. Do you ever think about that? I want you to think about this. His sending his son to pay the price of our sins shows forth the righteousness of God in the present time. You see, God had to meet, remain righteous, he's righteous. And yet he had to redeem sinful man. Well, what a dilemma think about it when you think about it that's a dilemma how righteous would he be if he said to this sinner well come into your rest come into my rest and he said to that sinner depart from me how righteous would that be would he be considered to be a righteous judge well not any more than what Abraham said to him as he walked down towards Sodom he says will you really sweep away the righteous and the wicked alike far be it from you to do such a thing, far be it from the judge of all the earth to sweep away the righteous and the wicked alike. Well, the fact is, the God of all the earth always does what's right. And so man had to be redeemed. And the only way to do that, the only way he could, could declare his friend Abraham righteous and his enemy Pharaoh guilty and remain righteous was pay Abraham's debt. And we can see this in the Torah. According to the Torah, you know, if you belong to a family and you did something wrong, you became a slave to another, then a goel, in Hebrew, or in English, a kinsman redeemer, the leader of your family could come and buy you back, pay your debt, and then you would be free. Well, God needed a goel. And he did that by sending his son who died for you. You owed your life and he gave his as a ransom for you. Debt paid. And so God, in his righteousness, can now have mercy on you because you have accepted this gift. There's now a difference between you and the other sinners of the world. And the difference is that your debt has been paid through your faith in what God has done. So you can be set free. Your debt has been paid. But I might add, you're now in debt to Yeshua. And if you know Yeshua and He knows you, if you took the time to know Him, took the time in your prayer closet to come to know Him, if you studied to know God and what pleases Him by reading His Torah, and His his Word as a whole, if you did kind things to and for your brothers in Messiah that showed that you loved them as yourself, then you are going to hear on that day, well done, good and faithful servant. If you did not take the time to really come to know Him, if if you didn't take the time to, in your prayer closet to come to know him if you ignored the torah and the rest of the word if you did nothing to show That you loved your brother as you loved yourself. What are you going to hear on that day? Well, not well done good and faithful servant because you were no servant You barely knew the master you did not know his will And so you could not do his will and so he can't say well done Because you did nothing. So what will he say to you on that day? Well, I don't want to find out what he says to that person on that day. I don't want to find out. I want to hear, well done, because I studied Torah and listened to the tug of his spirit on my heart to do the things therein. And I want to hear, faithful servant, because I took the time to know the master and do the commands of his Torah that he requires. And I want all of us to hear the same thing.